This podcast is brought to you by A Copy Match. A Copy Match is a boutique matchmaking service that helps exceptional singles find meaningful connections and relationships. To learn more about our matchmaking services, online dating makeovers and takeovers, or to enroll in an upcoming group coaching intensive, go to agapimatch.com. Welcome to the Ask a Matchmaker podcast. I'm your host, Matchmaker Maria. For over a decade, I have combined four generations of family matchmaking tradition with modern relationship psychology, behavioral science, and dating trends. With this unique expertise, each week I answer your dating and relationship questions on the podcast and online. If you're not already following me, you can find me on Instagram. I'm at Matchmaker Maria. And while you're at it, follow this podcast, Ask a Matchmaker, so that you get notified each week when a new episode drops. And of course, subscribe to this podcast. This week's guest is Talia Littman. Talia Littman is a New York-based psychotherapist and writer specializing in couples and sex therapy. From an early age, Talia has encouraged open conversations about relationships and sex. Her goal is to help others feel more comfortable discussing these topics and in turn to deepen the pleasure and fulfillment in their relationships. Prior to this, Talia had a successful career as a global strategy and marketing consultant before she made the switch to pursue her dream job as a couples therapist. Talia, welcome to the Ask a Matchmaker podcast. Hi, it's a pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me on. Of course, of course. So, you know, immediately, couples therapist, I need to know, first of all, why was this your dream job? This was my dream job from when I was so young. When I was in school, I was playing matchmaker with my friends. When I was in my first career, I was the one in meeting in conference rooms, helping people with their relationship difficulties. Um, but I just uh, didn't think of it as a, um, you know, a potential first career. I was in, I was like, I want to get into business. I want to, um, you know, be a businesswoman. I want to be a high achiever. And I thought, okay, I'll go into the consulting world. And this was always really what I wanted to do. And then eventually um, enough people said to me, you should have thought about being a couples therapist or a sex therapist. And I was like, okay, I'm going to actually uh, research what that takes. Um, and uh, I, this just feels incredibly um, uh, authentic to me. And just the, the thing I was always meant to do, I've been fascinated in relationships and sex since I can remember. What does it take to become a couples therapist? Well, it's different in England where I grew up. Um, in the States, you have to get a master's in, in psychotherapy of some kind. So you can either do marriage and family therapy master's, which is what I did because I was really interested in getting a, a systemic education. So going straight to looking at dynamics uh, between people. Um, you can also get a social work uh, master's or you could um, go down the PhD route or there's mental health counseling is another route. So it's actually quite complicated. It was like, it took a lot of research, um, but basically a master's in psychotherapy and then many, many um, hours of supervision and hours working with clients to hit certain thresholds of, of supervised client experience and then ongoing education. It's mandatory as a um, as a couples therapist or any psychotherapist to, to refresh your educational credits every year and uh, stay on top of new developments in the field. I was recently reading an article, I believe it was in the Washington Post, about mm -hmm. couples therapists and how mm -hmm. they can't keep up with demand right now. And I wonder, and it's because, you know, people this past year, I think, have just been home a lot more. They're uh, interacting with their partners in a, in a really different way than ever before, something that maybe 
was not necessarily social, you know, something that you do not accept uh, when you first start dating someone pre-pandemic. And I'm wondering if that's been the case for you where, you know, um, COVID and all of its phases has brought in, you know, a different kind, not only more couples, but also different kinds of problems. Absolutely. I would say myself and my colleagues are turning people away every day, long wait lists. I've never seen such a surge in people wanting couples therapy right now. I think it's a combination of the sort of barriers against and the taboos around couples therapy going down and problems going up. And I think COVID has shone a light on um, a lot of couples that were sort of functioning um, keeping their relationship together by being out in the world and distracted. And then when they're home or, or when there's a change or somebody's working from home or just, just something that disrupted the system that they had that was helping them keep functioning, um, like maybe there was you know, an affair going on that had to end due, due to COVID and that was keeping the relationship going or, or um, uh, just the split of roles and responsibilities at home has, have now shifted since COVID. Now things that were sort of being avoided um, are having a light shine on them and people are also at home and it's very convenient to now do therapy from home. So I think that's another barrier has gone in terms of having to um, both make their way into the off into a therapy office and um, the convenience factor has meant that people therapies become more accessible. So mm -hmm. I'd say a combination of new problems due to COVID existing problems that are now just getting a light shone on them uh, and then um, ease of access to therapy has met and less um, barriers and taboos around couples therapy as you know it works it's effective like the the research says that it will improve your relationship um, the satisfaction and fulfillment in the relationship and the longevity of the relationship and so I think eventually that'll that's going to catch on through through word of mouth and people's stories. That's interesting. Um, do you, most of the couples that come to you, like, are they married or do you have people that are, you know, even in new relationships, relationships that were created, you know, post COVID coming to you or yeah. colleagues? Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's interesting because although I am a marriage and family therapist, that just means really that I'm an expert in relationships. And so I have a lot of um, single clients that are dating and want to be in a relationship and are maybe dealing with um, hurts or trauma from past relationships and want to, um, you know, be addressing those and learning from those as they're going, entering into a new relationship or have been trying to date during COVID. I'd say that's about a third of my client base. And then I'd say a third is probably um, married couples, some that have been married um, one year, some that have been married 20 years um, or more. And then there's the in-between, which is people that are either about to get married, so sort of premarital, or even just dating. And I think that's been an interesting subset that pe of um, people seeking therapy that maybe people don't expect, that, um, that people aren't engaged yet. They're thinking of getting engaged. They're in a relationship, mm. and they're already noticing some problems. And they're saying, before we get engaged and deepen this commitment, let's go and, let's go and speak to someone. So I have quite, like, probably a third of clients in that premarital, pre-engagement phase. Yes. Like really high. So we, yeah. I, so I guess my question here then is like, when is it, I mean, look, I think it sounds pretty healthy to, um, speak to an expert, you know, right before you engage or when you do get engaged, just to make sure that, I don't mean, I don't The one thing I've noticed, especially after even having my own kids is that like whatever cracks your relationship had prior to mm. having kids, 
prior to having a parasite wake you up at three in the morning every day and therefore you're sleep deprived and yes. you know, just you're exhausted in every capacity when you first have a kid. So like whatever cracks your relationship had prior to getting married, children will turn those cracks into canyons. And I get that some people yes. don't want to have kids and this obviously does not apply to those people. But you yes. know, when you put when you're adding in for those couples that are adding in more humans onto the earth <laughs> I understand, like, you know, this sounds, like, really healthy to, to, to explore your emotional resilience with a therapist. My question here is then, like, when is it too early to go to therapy? Because I will, and, and maybe this is my own bias, but I feel like if you need couples therapy within the first two months, part of me is like, mm, should you even be dating together? Yeah. Maybe I'm wrong. Like, I don't know. I would love to hear your... That's a great question. I think my bias is the other side, which is I don't think it's ever too early to go to therapy because I think one way of thinking about therapy is it solves issues or problems. But another way is it is the it's um, the facilitator for how you can have the relationship that you want. And it and it's the, the um, uh, mechanism to have hard conversations. And that's all and that it can just be that it can be I'm a few months in with a partner I want to share my timelines that I, you know, want to have kids in the next few years and I have this problematic family member and I'm, I have this illness I haven't told them about, or this STD or, uh, or something. Mm -hmm. And you, a stroke, you want to have an objective person who is a specialist at helping people have tough conversations. But isn't that a therapist? Like, how is that a couple's therapist? Like, I mean, like, okay, like you would help a person who has that singular problem like yes. on their own, right? Like, what am I wrong? Wait, okay, maybe I'm wrong now in the sense of like <laughs> what I'm envisioning here. Because when I think of couples therapists, I'm thinking of like two people in a room, or like maybe they're one each. But like, so tell me, tell me what I need to know here. So I don't think it's um, a bad idea to do it through individual therapy. I just think that you have less chance of it going wrong if you do it in couples therapy because essentially, uh, couples therapists uh, teach you skills. They teach couples skills. They so you will actually come out with a blueprint of how to have tough conversations, the two of you, and how to respond to, to the person that's giving the delicate news, for example. So that's something unique that you can't get huh. in individual therapy. You can only control one person's side, and also it's not witnessed. So the client may say, yeah, I did exactly what you told me. I told my boyfriend this, but you're just getting one side of the story when you're seeing an individual, whereas in the room you can actually you know, they may not even be aware of what they're doing. And so the, the skill development that's possible by actually enacting the interaction in the room in front of an expert, I think is where the real magic happens in couples therapy. Um, and then- So is there a time yeah. when mm -hmm. it's too early to do couples therapy? I mean, I think if both people want to honor up, up for it, then it's not too early because it can be whatever, I'm very client driven. So whatever they- want it to be. So if they want to use it to fantasize their dream relationship and to plan their future, and if that is helpful, then that is okay. I'm not gonna go in and try and find cracks if they're not presenting them. Um, and the research says that couples that seek help early in a relationship will be more likely to seek help later. They, it's like it breaks right. down the barrier to, seek, to help seeking when there's actually an issue. So mm -hmm. do I think they should be in weekly therapy from two months for, the next five years until they get married. No, but if they want to come in, see what it's all about, learn a few skills, 
proactively, which will probably help them in other relationships. And also kind of, it's very bonding to be like, I care about our, working on our relationship and, and you do too. And to have that, it can be really experiential. Um, it's like a date. You can make it a date night. I love that. Like mm -hmm. you've now just convinced me that this is something that couples that feel like they could go the distance should maybe do. Like maybe that's one of their monthly dates is like a couples therapy check-in. I think that's genius. And so when they do couples therapy, is it like you talk to the, to the one person, then you talk to the other person, then you talk together, or do you have two people at the same time? Um, so generally I like to keep, have people together because I think that is really what differentiates couples therapy from other kinds of therapy. I think that's where the value mm -hmm. is when the interactions are, whether I, even if I'm speaking to one of them in front of the partner, a lot of value can come from that because you suddenly see your partner in a different light. You're able to observe more, maybe learn a bit more about their childhood. You're kind of watching them do their individual therapy. So I, I like to keep people together if possible. And it gives the chance for them to, you know, actually have live interactions together and I have them talk to each other. However, if there's some sensitive material like past trauma or I'm getting the sense um, that, there's something going on. Like sometimes as a therapist, you get like a sense that I, something's not right here. I don't have all the information. Something seems off. And that's when I might work with people individually for a little bit and try and see if there's a secret being held because sometimes there's a, there is a, there is a secret that, and that, that tension. there's a tension and there's, you know, they've come to therapy. It seems like everything's fine, but maybe, maybe there isn't. And they're not, comfortable bringing that up to their partner yet but they would maybe tell me um and then I would help them figure out how to bring it in to the couple session so you have I yeah mm -hmm. how about in the scenario where um you know I've I've met people who can who are self-aware enough to admit that they are avoidant or they are self-aware enough to say that they suffer from narcissism Hmm. but they, you know, they want to be in long-term relationships. They just know that these are parts of their, let's say temperament hmm. and overall personality structure where they're like, it's really difficult for me to be in a healthy relationship because I can be manipulative or I can hurt people or I can leave people confused based on my actions. If people have that self-awareness or maybe if someone is dating someone who has these things, I don't know how open someone is to going to a couples therapist if it's not their own idea to go when they might be suffering from these sort of things. But do you find in your experience that people who might be more avoidant attachment or more have more narcissistic tendencies that their relationships can improve with couples therapy or does, or does couples therapy just magnify the problem where the person on the other end maybe feels more discouraged in continuing to pursue a relationship with them? Mm. Um, that's a good question. I'm giving it some thought. So you're saying, does it make it worse? Is what you're saying, does it make it worse sometimes if you bring couples into the therapy room where one person has either narcissistic tendencies or a very strong avoidance style? Could that blow things up or right. create a bigger crack? Well, again, I'm on the side of, I'm on the side of opt optimism, pro-therapy that if, if couples think that this is, could be an issue, as you said, like if there's a little crack, if there's a crack or, the, or a doubt or a fear of how will I be in this relationship, like, you know, it's a story you tell. I'm in the relationship with a, 
with an avoidant um, or I'm avoid or and so therefore I'm never going to get you know get my needs met or the avoidant says like I'm never going to be able to meet my partner's needs like this these are damaging narratives they might want to come to therapy and be be, ass- be assessed I don't think it's it's ever as, sim- as simple as that um, and so to kind of and also I think I think there is a limit in terms of how helpful labels are. I think that labels around sort of a, con- a condition or a diagnosis is helpful for us to kind of feel that we're not going through something alone and that we can have a plan and we can have some control over, um, you know, tr- helping ourselves with our condition and what- whatever our struggles are. But I also think it can really r- rigidify people's positions and roles. Like, oh, I'm the narcissist, you're the the you know um codependent or or however and so i I think that it's worth uh coming to therapy to maybe flex up that story a little bit because when when roles get too rigid and positions get too rigid issues issues happen so i would say come to therapy and let's talk about that let's talk about what how we define that how that how that plays out in the relationship what that looks like in actual interactions where it causes issues what could be an antidote to that um, but look how it can play out relationally. I do think your the first thing you said was though is that maybe people are, or something you said in there are people um, avoidant um, are people with more avoidant characteristics less likely to come to therapy. I think that could def- that is definitely the case. I see that. Oh, is it? I, I see that a lot. That people that are generally more closed off in their relationships are also less enthusiastic about opening up to a stranger. Correct. Okay, so I feel like a lot of problems that I see sometimes tend to come from a place of, you know, certain attachment styles, certainly, you know, avoidant attachment styles, they pair very well with anxious attachment styles, because it's that catch 22, right? One feeds into the other. And, um, you know, if that is the case, and these people certainly need couples therapy, um, how, you know, what if one person is reluctant to go to couples therapy? Like, how do you mm. bring it up? Mm. I, th- I think, um, education is key. I think a lot of people are, don't really know what couples therapy is. Uh, and they have okay. mis- misconstrued ideas that it will mean that they'll break up. It's something you do right before you get divorced or, or right before you break up which I think is because of historically people have gone to couples therapy right when it was already at the point where of no return feeling. And so I think that it's got a bit of a reputation as people go to couples therapy and break up, but that it was. So when should, when is the ideal time to go to couples therapy? I think whenever you both want to, but especially when you feel like there is a problem that you are getting stuck on that you're struggling to solve yourselves. So this, it feels like we're, um, we're struggling to communicate, we're struggling to manage conflict, we're struggling to regulate ourselves, somebody has betrayed the other, Um, we're uh, in a repetitive fight. Uh, I feel like things are escalating. Every time we fight, it's getting a little bit more heavy and heated. Or when a big change has just happened, somebody, uh, a a family member has has died. Um, Or when you're preparing preventatively for a big change, we're about to, move in and we're nervous we're about to get married so uh, so sort of when changes happen that you're not expecting or when there's sort of reg- changes that you are expecting are other good times to get a bit of extra support just in case you need more later um and or if there are other sort of um cracks or problems appearing 
Um, but you asked, what was the question you asked me before this one? Because I was going to, do you remember? What was it? Well, what if one person is reluctant, oh, reluctant to go? To go. That was it. Like, how, yes. do you, so, how do you tell them? How do you bring up the subject? Yeah. So I think like sharing articles and what couples therapy is um, and, you know, really is in terms of, I think when people realize that it's kind of a bit of a training and skill development and that there's something in it for them. And that it's not about your partner going to get someone else on their side to gang up against you. I think people worry about that a lot, that it's just, you know, um, generally the person that's the more the pursuer who is having, you know, more complaints about their partner. Their partner might think I'm going to be dragged into a therapy room and ganged up on. And that's not a good therapy. The therapist is, you know, pretty impartial, can see both sides, can take different sides or take no sides. And um, so really it's in everybody's benefit to go and have this objective person in the room. Um, and I think just maybe saying, involving your partner in picking the therapist, saying like, let's make this decision together. It will only be someone that we're both comfortable with. If you want, you can take the lead on that. We can both do um, fit calls with them and let's just do one session and see if we like it and there's no commitment. And that's how I... How do you mm -hmm. pick a therapist? I've never thought of that. How do you pick a therapist, a couple's therapist? Like what should the couple be looking for? My bias is someone that's trained relationally. So someone that has couples therapy training. So systemic training. Um, whether that whether they started it as an individual therapist that added, that added it on later or that they trained in that specifically, that is a different skill set. So that looking at the dynamics and patterns between people is a different skill set than looking at individual um, individual stuff that's going on. And then I, I try and start with, I always tell people referrals are great. If you know someone that's had a positive experience with a couples therapist, if you're comfortable having that conversation with friends and family, start with referrals. If your friends don't want you to see their therapist, can their therapist give you a referral? Or if they're full, can their therapist give you a referral? Because generally, you, you know, I would refer people that I trust and that I know have had good relationship, good, good um, experiences with them. If you can't get a referral, then go online, filter for you know, trained couples therapists, um, maybe marriage and family therapists. Is there therapists. a website? Is I, there a website I, that people go on? Psychology Today is the biggest um, okay. in the States. And um, mm -hmm. um, and it's you can filter for many different things, including your insurance. So if insurance is important oh. to you. Yeah, very, very helpful. And then what I always suggest is picking maybe four or five, a handful that you like the bio, you get a good feel of, and then set up an intake, an initial fit call with them. And if they don't want to do that with you and they want to charge, then, then I'd say forget it because you really want to feel comfortable before you start therapy. And I would do a few calls and see who you get the best fit with. Um, that's what I would suggest. And then if you are not feeling it after a couple of sessions and Sometimes it's awkward and that's normal for it to feel uncomfortable to open up to a stranger. But if the vibe is off or they really say something that you just not just not gelling with you, then find, you can find someone else. And that's it's like dating. <laughs> um, yeah. You know, you don't have to be locked in. You have you have options. But um, everything I said earlier about couples therapy being effective for couples, it is it, that is mediated by the quality of the therapy. So it needs to be good therapy and a good fit for you. Otherwise, it could really not have a very positive effect on the relationship. Is there such thing as like, uh, it's too late to go to therapy now? 
again, my optimistic side would say no. Uh, maybe uh, other therapists would disagree with me. I do think, I mean, I feel it as a therapist when someone's waited decades to come. It's like, it's like trying to do the laundry when the laundry basket has been piling up for months and you have to go through and find the layers of the, pull out the, the, the hand wash only and the this and the that and the like it, it takes forever to get to the bottom of the laundry basket it's like they've got cut on top of cut and work and it's like it, it takes a lot more repair work it takes longer I find generally rather than a new couple coming in with like one or two things in the laundry basket take them out oh there's the bottom empty laundry you know it's like um just there's just less layers to go to go down with with a new relationship versus an old one the patterns are less ingrained um, but I do think still change is possible if both people are willing. And that's the main thing with therapy, willingness to put an effort to make it different. And that usually requires both people for it to be very successful. Sometimes you can get good, good enough change with only one person willing to make changes. But if both of them are, yes, I fully believe that, that you can, you know, fix your relationship if you, if you want to, or both of you will come to a place where you realize you don't want to. And therapy can be helpful with that as well, helping you figure out if you want to continue. Have you ever been put in a position, like, just from your own professional experience, um, where, you know, you're witnessing financial or emotional or physical abuse and, you know, you have to break them up? <laughs> yeah. So couples therapy is not recommended when there's any sign of physical abuse in the relationship because it could actually exasperate it. Exasperate it? I don't know, I always worry if I say that word wrong. It can make it worse. You would hate that there to be a session where you're, the couples are vulnerable and then somebody gets hurt afterwards or beaten up afterwards. Like couples therapy is not advised when there's domestic violence going on. We would separate people and have them in their, their own specialized support there. Um, so that's, one area where it's a no-no and that was, you know, it's part. But someone has to tell you that there's abuse, right? Correct. I mean, so you yeah. like it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So we assess for that. We assess for that. We'd always ask, uh, you know, as part of intakes, how serious have the fights gotten? Um, again, that would be if you sense something, a reason to split up couples and speak to them individually to maybe understand more if there's a fear of saying it in front of the partner. We have to always be on the lookout for risk of harm to self and others um, that would be the only time as well we could um, as a therapist you can only breach confidentiality if there's a risk of someone hurting themselves or others um, so um, that that would be um, that would be something we would assess for for more kind of psychological abuse or less physical or financial um, stuff going on I, I do feel that it is, um, and I, other therapists may disagree. I think as a as a therapist, you have knowledge, and it and sometimes that means doing psychoeducation with clients and explaining what um, a healthy relationship is and what a healthy relationship is not. And you know, I I strongly believe that that is something that therapists can do as well. They can provide that educational component. I, I'm not the sort of traditional um, or the more kind of what we think of as a traditional therapist who sort of sits and writes in the notepad and smiles and nods. Couples therapists tend to be much more active. And that might mean education, especially when it comes to sex therapy as well. A lot of education, mm -hmm. a lot of um, sexual education. 
um, but also around um, sort of controlling or behavior um, and talking about that as well. And because, um, you know, while being aware of cultural sensitivities of what it means within a certain religion or culture to have dynamics and, and making sure that I'm not judging prematurely um, in any situation as well of what I think is, you know, good in a relationship versus other people's um, expectations of, um, you know, of what is a blueprint of a, of, a, of a healthy relationship. But I do, there is a, there is a, lo- a line, obviously. Well, okay, so then prior to that line, like, what is, what is in your mind, like, the signs of a healthy relationship? Um, respect, um, care, best interest, others' best interests at heart, having positive interactions. So positive interaction being anything from a smile, from a your partner wants your attention and you turn towards them instead of turning away from them. Um, you are, um, so, you know, po- positive response to their bids for connection. Um, you allow a sense of it, you know, individuation and, indiv- and being an individual and independence and there's a togetherness and you guys have a, have a balance of that. Um, not attacking each other's personality, not saying, you know, insults. Um, of course, when things get heated, stuff comes out. And so another, uh, another, um, sign of a really healthy relationship is the ability to repair really well. Um, so of course we're not, we're, we're not going to always be kind and loving when we're completely activated, but to be able to then repair and apologize and take accountability for hurting our partners, that's one of the healthiest signs. Um, attunement, knowing what your partner's thinking, you know, thinking and feeling and, and just being aware of their, you know, awareness of their, um, state, um, is also, you know, a good sign. Uh, mutuality, making sure both people are, um, um, you know, getting their needs met or, and being heard, hearing each other, being able to actually listen to each other. I feel like that's the number one thing couples are not good at or people are not good oh, at. Oh, really? Oh, I don't think any of us know how to listen. <laughs> I'm learning. I'm, I've learned a lot through this, um, through this career, but um, it's amazing. We're just always thinking about the next thing that we're going to say rather than um, what is actually being said to us. And that really takes away from a relationship, from a connection when, when some people come all the time and that my partner's not hearing me, I don't feel heard. Same pro- people, both so desperate to be heard that they're not hearing the other. Sometimes, obviously, I, I evaluate like how my parents interact and then I look at how my husband and I interact with mm-hmm. each other. And I think like so much of my parents' problems, which of course, like, you know, it's like funny if I mentioned to my parents to go to couples therapists, they'd both like laugh in my face because I feel like they just maybe you can vouch for me on this one. But I feel like they come from a different generation and a different culture where like, yeah. you know, you don't go to therapy. What are you what are you talking about? You know, and yes, um, yes. right. Which, is that, is yes. that accurate? <laughs> well, yeah, because it's a definitely a newer thing. And uh, and yeah, and I, but I feel like that is a lot of us have that in the, with our, not everyone, but typically, yes, the, the, it's less the norm for the older generations. Help seeking in general, therapy in general. I feel like individual therapy got a bit more accepted, even before, and couples right. therapy still down there, but that's been passed down to us, which is why it's so hard for us to go yeah, to therapy. Yeah, of course, you learn how to be in a relationship through, that's your first prototype is your parents, right? And if they're, Absolutely. they're shitty relationship standards, sometimes will 
if you don't stop them early enough, I feel like you adopt them. You start to obviously emulate them because that's, that's your normal. That's your mm-hmm. that's the prototype. And it's like funny. I think about my parents sometimes and, you know, it's interesting what kind of bond they have now because my dad has taken on this like caregiving mm. um, role in the last few, the last year. Um, but, you know, growing up, I remember the fights that my parents had and not even just growing up, like even, you know, as recent as like five years ago of like how, you know, my parents would disagree on. And it's like so much of my mother's frustration revolves around my dad being unable to read her mind. And my dad's frustration is this like sense of surprise. Like, why are you mad at me? Yes. Yes. So interesting. And then his short temper out of that, there's like a very like, why are you upset with me? So now I'm going to be upset three times more to just squash this. And as a result, like, I feel like with my husband and I, I used to do that. I used to kind of be like a little bit like my dad, like I would yell a lot quicker. And now I'm kind of like, okay, this is what happened today. This is what bothered me. Don't do it again. Or I'll be like, just do better. And then same with him. Like he'll tell me like one time I said something without even realizing I said something really mean to him. And he's like, when you say that, that like really hurts my feelings. And, you know, he said it calmly at a different time. So and like, and it was great because I have never said those words again. Like I didn't even, it was, I was thoughtless, right? Like when I said it, I was just kind of repeating what I've heard as a kid. I never thought about what those words meant. Mm-hmm. And it's like, I try, mm-hmm. like, I think a lot about my parents and I don't know if this helps other people just hearing what I'm about to say, but like, I think about like my parents' issues mm. and it's like, I don't want those issues in my relationship. So I actually like wrote down like, Good. here's what would have improved my parents' relationships. What am I doing these things too? If yeah. I'm not like, what can I do better? Like, you know, I yes. don't want to, cause I, my kids are going to repeat what they see. Yes. And I think that's one of the best things about therapy, whether individual or couples therapy, is the, is the awareness of what you witnessed and what you experienced. And then the choice of do I, what do I want to take? What are the strengths? What is beautiful? What do I want to do? And what do I want to discard or do differently? And if we don't do that process, we just copy. We just copy and repeat. So that is one of the best things about therapy. And it's one of the premarital questions for couples is to say, what about their upbringing? Do they want to do with their, do, would they want to do with their kids if they're going to have kids? Or what do they want to bring to their relationship and to have them both do that exercise? Um, and so, yeah, I mean, I love what you're doing. I mean, it sounds like you guys are just making an effort to be more direct in your relationship with your partner. To I be mean, more... this is so new to Talia because like mm-hmm. I think about, you know, my grandparents and, mm-hmm. and the generations before them, like, you know, my grandparents survived a genocide. You know, my grandmother was only two and my grandfather mm-hmm. was 13 when that happened or 15 when that happened. Mm-hmm. And you know, then they survived also World War II. Mm -hmm. Uh, Then they survived what is called Katohi, like, uh, it's called the Great Famine in Greece. Like, there was just no food. Um, Then they, you know, they survived a coup. So it's like, and my grandmother had nine kids, two of which died really young. So it's like, I think my grandparents, I don't know if they had relationship issues. I think that they were in this mode of survival and, and just, you know, and busy, right? Like you have enough kids, you have a farm, you're busy. Yes. Like, yes. You know, and then prior, and then previous to them, same thing. Like you, you know, my great grandparents, they lived, you know, what I was modern day Turkey and the Pontos region for any geography nerds. 
And same thing. It's like, okay, survival. So it's like, I think that the problems that my parents have, or even me and my husband or anyone listening, they could, they're all so new. Yes. We have different expectations for relationships than they did. For them, it was about survival, procreation, companionship, companionship, (laughs) even for some people like, you know, wealth and property rights. And like, if we're going way back, um, and, yeah. and now it's, you know, we want intimacy, respect, respect. <laughs> we want fun. I mean, Esther, balance. Pa- yeah. I mean, Esther Perel will tell you that we want too much in our partners now. And that's why we're having so many problems because the, the expectations are, we want what a whole village used to give us. We want in our one relationship. Right. Um, but right. we do. Yeah. We- it's so right. By the way, like I, it's mm-hmm. funny. I've, I use this example all the time. Uh, one of my girlfriends, she felt like she was not intellectually compatible with her spouse anymore. Like, I guess she always ignored it. And she's like, we're perfect in every other way. You know, physically he fulfills me, emotionally fulfills me. It's just, and financially we're great. It's just emotional, uh, intellectually, he's just not where I want him to be. And I'm like, okay, do you know how rare everything else you just said is? Like, go join a Scrabble club, go join a poetry club, go do a book club. Like, mm-hmm. you know, there's all these other things that you could supplement the intellectual portion mm-hmm. that does not have to be fulfilled. Like, I'm not saying you shouldn't be able to speak to your spouse and they have a perfectly great relationship where they can speak to each other. They both read and all that stuff. Good. It's just like, she wants more out of him. Yeah. And it's like, you can get this in other ways. Yes, we're looking for perfection. Every, there's a trade-off. There's always a trade-off. It's thinking it's what is the best, what is it, you know, what is it, what is enough? What is the best fit? That's why when people, my dating clients, I always ask them to prioritize their wish list, to, to the prioritization part being key. Um, yeah. Uh, but yeah, like you don't have to have it. Yeah. It's getting it all from your partner puts tremendous pressure on the relationship. And it means then if anything is going awry in the relationship, it causes tremendous stress and health issues because of the, all the expectation and pressure. Um, on that but I also love the story you said about your parents and the mind reading the mind reading because that is so common and some of that is cultural though like it's very individualist culture to and very western to say like you know to have to be very clear and owning our needs and communicating our needs and very autonomous and and it's more collectivist culture to be um uh thinking of like what are other what do other people uh, what do other people need? Like thinking about the group and the, and that it's like, there can be a bit of a, a cultural bias there, but however, generally when couples come to therapy with that, it's the directness and learning assertive communication and clear communication. It really does help. And so um, maybe that's a, a, a Western like bias. My mom would always complain like your dad never takes me out. And it's like, did you ask him? Yes. I would like it and, if we would go out once every two weeks. Right. And you, and don't ask him on like Sunday morning to go out that day. Yes. Like my dad's one day off. Like you should say, like if I were in her, now if God, my mom's bedridden and she's not doing so well or whatever. But like if mm. she had gone, I would hope that if she had gone to a couples therapist 30 years ago, yeah, they would have said to her something like, um, you know, if you want a date night, plan it plan it a month in advance. Like, Hey, every 15th of the month, no matter what we are going out and this is what we're going to do. We can go to the movies and then dinner, but like, there you go. There's your outing, right? Like it's not planned. Like my mom, she would get upset on the weekends that my dad was not taking her out. Yeah. But it's like, you never mentioned it. And then when you do mention it, it's like Sunday at 7 PM. And then, and then how you mentioned is you didn't even want to go out. It's like, well, 
Which, what? You know? Yeah. And your dad would immediately receive uh, it as a criticism and get defensive and get reactive. Oh, God. Yeah. yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And and he would get upset. It was, it was like this whole yeah, thing. But it's like you could have, this could have all been avoided if you just had expressed, well, yeah. hey, on Monday, you know, hey, this movie's coming out. Would yes. you like to go? And yes. Like, I, will, I would love to go. Would you like to come with me? Lovely. And the wild thing is they both want the same thing. They both want to be together and make each other happy. Yeah. And that's why everybody's yeah. getting upset. And, and that yeah. leads, to, leads to a little rupture. And then this rupture. just went on for years, years, okay. years, just so many years. And I, I, you know, it's like I would hear my mom tell me her problems. And I'm like, I, you know, this is your relationship. I don't know. I'm not, you know, I'm at the time. I'm not like yeah. not MFT or anything. So it's like, uh. Yeah. So the couples therapist should get you to try out new things to try out new, to do experiments, experiment right. and try new things. And so, yes, uh, you know, couples, that, that's the other thing. It's such a small thing, but prioritize, uh, put, setting aside time to be together as a couple for whatever you want to do in that time, whether it's physical intimacy or date night or anything, you know, carving that time out and protecting it like you would a work meeting or a coffee with friends. I mean, to, to, to do that is such as it, it means I value the relationship and I'm going to prioritize this and it doesn't go to the bottom of the pile, um, which it some, usually does. And and then we wonder why we're not doing so good in our, in, our, in our couple. Right. Well, Talia, it was really great speaking to you today. Where can people find you if they want to work with you or interact with you on socials? Um, my website is uh, taliamft.com. I work with clients in New York and New Jersey, um, just in those states, because it's uh, state bound when you, uh, to do therapy. I'm doing telehealth at the moment, um, but hope to be back in an office at some point soon. And then um, my Instagram is talia.mft. Awesome. And I will put those links in the episode notes for anyone who wants to um, follow Talia and of course work with Talia. Talia, thank you so much for coming to the Ask a Matchmaker podcast. Yeah, you're so welcome. I've loved talking to you. Could do it all day. Me too. Uh, this was fantastic. Um, thanks again. And thank you for listening to the Ask a Matchmaker podcast. If you'd like to speak with me on an upcoming hotline episode, follow me on Instagram at Matchmaker Maria. I'll post the link and we will chat then. Until then, you can learn more about what I do or enroll in an upcoming Agape Intensive by visiting agapematch.com services. Thank you again for listening to Ask a Matchmaker. Be lovable and more importantly, be likable. See you next week.